0: we're doing a new intro with every show that's our new thing so i guess it's
1: snack time welcome to the afternoon snack that's so lame
0: i don't know it's not that bad like some podcasts don't even do intros they're just like True. Remember welcome. when we used to have music And people would like dance to it, or at least I imagined people dancing to it. I I I imagine what actually happened is people fast forwarded for the first minute.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: Yeah, it's like, you know. But people are going to listen to this because they think it's the
1: start of the podcast when really it's still just the intro.
0: You live and you learn. And I think we're still learning. We're still dabbling with the intro.
1: Yeah, and we're also
0: still living. So if we base our seasons on like the intro i guess this would be probably season three of the show we only have one we only have one season on i don't know why you would do different seasons i guess podcasts with themes or with specific stories have seasons
1: yeah or if you release like a bunch at once. but anyways we should probably get to the show
0: all right let's
1: do that welcome back episode 51 I just had an urge to do like another intro that was based off another podcast that goes like "welcome, welcome, welcome, welcome." I mean, and I kind of just did that because I really wanted to do it. I hated it. Um, <laughs> okay, I won't do it again. I'll I got—I think I got it out of my system. Okay, yeah. I would like to start. I wish that I had from... said one more welcome, but for next time. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no next time.
0: When next time, how about this? When you're on a, when you're, the next time you're a guest on someone's
1: podcast, just jump in there with that.
0: Yeah. Like let, the, it'll be really funny. You let them do their intro of the show and then you do your own <laughs> intro of
1: like Alex and see when they release it if they leave it in or if they just cut it out. Yeah. Might be a good test. Yeah. I think. But yeah, episode
0: 51, we went on a little bit of a podcast vacation partially because we went on an actual vacation and we don't have a traveling podcast set up. Um, and then we, yeah, got heavy into our holiday challenge and have been just just giving her for like two weeks. So thanks for being patient while we get this one out. We're excited. feel like we have a lot to talk about. We went to North Carolina for... <clears throat> American Thanksgiving. I love traveling with Alex for this one specific reason. And we don't get to do it that often anymore. So I, for- I forgot. And then I saw it happen and I was like, "Oh, is it because I always give you the middle seat? <laughs> yeah. Someone commented on, on my Instagram. I think I must've posted and it was clear that I was in the middle seat and they made a comment about, <clears throat> you know, me taking the middle seat and Um, Why don't I book the aisle? And I was like, oh, no, I don't book the aisle because the only reason I'm in the middle seat is to protect Alex from the person who sits in the aisle. I need a shield from the public. A human shield. Yeah. It's not even a discussion. Like half the time, I think I book myself in the window. And then it's... You also
1: try to get on the plane before me. And I'm like, oh, whoa, hold up here. (laughs) Window goes in first. I mean... (laughs) True, but...
0: Sometimes I try to book the, I'll book the window in the aisle and just hope that the middle stays open, which is probably like a, I would say a 20% success
1: rate on that. And then you have to do the awkward thing where someone says, that's my seat. And you're like, well, do you want to trade for the, your your middle seat for my aisle seat? And like, what if they say no and we're separated for the entire trip? Well, that's never happened. I know, but it could. It is
0: highly unlikely because basically what I'm saying to that person is, would you like to trade your free seat for this 30 to 50 dollar seat that I paid for?
1: Who's going to say no to that? Maybe they like they want to sit in between two interesting and good-looking females. Maybe just hasn't happened yet. What if it's like a creepy old man or something mm. and he's like, mm, "Never no, I'd rather sit in the middle." <laughs> No.
0: (laughs) Okay, it's unlikely. It's unlikely.
1: I'll give you that.
0: Really on a roll. (laughs) This is what happens when we take time off? Okay. It could be a
1: creepy old lady,
0: too. I don't want to be be. sexist here.
1: Yeah, I mean... Mm, No, thanks. I'd rather... Oh, my God.
0: You have to stop (laughs) with the voices. I would also like to point out that we're sitting here recording our podcast and... Uh, Alex has toe spacers in and I'm wearing ski boot liners. So there's your visual <laughs> for the afternoon. Um, okay. Back to the game that I like to play when we travel. The game is um, we almost always rent a car and Alex. And again, I'm going to throw Brenda under the bus here. These two have the absolute, like, I don't even know what you call it. Recall memory. Uh, lack of attention to detail
1: okay there's i'm pretty sure there's some sort of disease out there where like you cannot recognize faces there's there's something there's a brain there's something that can happen with your brain where you cannot like recognize faces Mm -hmm. i learned about this in my education i just can't remember it at the moment that's me with cars okay i look at a car
0: and i will not remember what car that is a car Mm-hmm. So anyways, the game is, um, you know, you rent a car, they're usually fairly like plain. Um, we like one time we got like an orange Subaru and I was like, ah, oh, this one isn't going to work. That didn't work. But for this, this time we got a silver, what
1: was it, Alex? Sedan. It was a sedan. It was a sedan. <laughs> Do you know what it was? Honda. No, <laughs> it was a, I know it wasn't a Mercedes
0: Benz. It, no, it wasn't. It was a Toyota Camry. It was a Toyota, which I think, uh, as of maybe like five or ten years ago, was the most common sedan in which is a problem the United for me. States. And so I was like, "Ooh, yeah, this is gonna be, this is gonna work." And so the game is whenever we leave, um, you know, we go somewhere, we park in a parking lot, and we walk out of, you know, back out to the parking lot from a grocery store or mall or hotel. I get to f- I get to observe Alex trying to locate the car. What do you think your success rate is on walking
1: to the Part of the reason the right? is because I never drive. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like sitting pretty in the passenger seat, not paying any attention to where we're going. And all of a sudden we're stopped. So I get out <laughs> and walk towards an entrance. Yeah. And so when I get out of the store, I'm like, where are we? <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: I would say at least fifty percent of the time you walk to the wrong car, and sometimes it's like, it's like blatantly wrong. Like a Toyota Camry is a large sedan, very large, and I think when we were leaving the hotel, you walked up to like a tiny little Kia that I wasn't even to the right a color. Car. <laughs> okay, and
1: it was like next to the car that we had rented. It wasn't so- next to it. Okay, yeah, there was one time. Uh, We were in Maui and again, we had a rental car and I think it was a white sedan, but we were with my friend, my friend Dave was with us and the three of us together got into a car and, and I was sitting in the passenger seat and I'm like, whose cup is that? And then all of a sudden one of us was like, this isn't our car. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We had like all three of us gotten in. To the wrong and we'd car. And we start getting out. We're just laughing hysterically. My dad comes out. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> just seeing who
0: left their, their car doors unlocked. Yeah, that's pretty bad. It's like you'd think that it would get better. You'd be like, okay, I have this tendency. I should really pay more attention. But no, that doesn't happen. I've got better things to pay attention to. Sure, yeah. Um I won't, I won't bother you with asking what those, what those are. All right. Um, we are what over three weeks into our holiday challenge. We're about to get into the no, giveaways. We're two weeks in two weeks in approaching three weeks. Yeah. Over halfway. Are we over halfway? We're over halfway for sure. I think giveaways start on Monday. So day
1: 15 Hmm. out of
0: 28. Yes. Oh, so
1: giveaways. No, giveaways start Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been going really well. I don't know what you think. I mean, every time we, so we've been asking people to tag us in their stories about the, like the daily challenges that they're completing. And it's just like, there's so many stories on our Instagram. It's incredible. I think my favorite was when week two rolled around and it was read 30 minutes before bed. And so everyone posted what book they were reading. And I found that really interesting Mm -hmm. to see what everyone was reading and like I was able to add some new books to my list and talk to people about um, that sort of thing. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Now we're getting to see what everybody eats for breakfast on a daily basis. Which is also interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize so many
0: people ate bowls of mush.
1: Yeah. Oatmeal. (laughs) Oatmeal is popular.
0: Yeah. I see that. I guess I I usually like, I mean, my breakfast is pretty elaborate, but I did. I went through an oatmeal phase, so I kind of get it. It's very easy. Your breakfast doesn't travel well.
1: No. And so with people not really, some people don't work at home from home. So so that would be tricky.
0: Yeah. I think it's cool. It's definitely, I mean, we did something similar last year and it, this, this year has a lot more um, people doing it. I think it's also like with it being a little bit less random, it's easier for people to wrap their heads around how it works Mm -hmm. and you know what it's kind of intended for. And we've had like pretty good feed, like pretty good feedback from a couple of people who are just like,
1: Yeah, so this is this is way more life changing than I thought it was gonna be. Yeah, I mean, even if they don't keep the lemon water, it's an example of like how to implement a habit. It's like every day you have to be intentional about it. And then also, I had one one client who's telling me that she feels so much better with the lemon water simply because she's drinking more water. Yeah, which makes a big difference for me. Like even though I'm, you know, it's kind of a habit stacking thing. We're adding something each each week. For me, like I started adding in, um, like some more supplements, like just the basic ones, like fish oil again, because I had stopped drinking lemon water, had stopped taking vitamin vita- or supplements. And so now I take my supplements with the lemon water. So it's like, you know, a double whammy. Yeah. That's habit stacking.
0: I think for me, the, like the bedtime, the impact on sleep with reading has been
1: monumental. Like I wake up at five 45. <laughs> We also have been going to bed at like 8.30. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, to make sure we have enough time to read. Yeah. It's been super good. Um,
0: And then what's the last last week is going for a walk. Yep. So I think that one would be kind of nice as long as it's not ridiculously cold here. But I mean, you can dress it. warm. Ish. Yeah. 30 minutes isn't that bad. Yeah, it'd be fine. Um, All right. Should we get into the meat of this podcast? Yep. So what we want to discuss or, you know, talk about today is um, we're giving a presentation tomorrow and it's going to share some of what's discussed here. Um, We've been at this for what? Three, a little over three years with tactic. Yeah. A little bit longer if you include coaching before that. And we kind of like, we made a post maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago now that was titled good nutrition is not what you think. And, you know, the gist of that post is, was kind of like, it's not about perfect macros. It's about behaviors and about, you know, fitting nutrition into your life style and not fitting your life into what your definitions of good nutrition are. And so I kind of wanted to play on that and discuss, you know, nutrition coaching for us, I think is definitely not what we thought it would be when we endeavored down this path. And we've learned a lot in three years. And I think that <clears throat> it allows us to provide a lot of perspective and context to to clients when they come. And even like, you know, with our coaching team who has less experience than we do, I think we are able to provide even them with context and perspective that they can take forward. Um, so what do we learn in, in three years? I think there's kind of four things and jump in here. Yeah. I have the list. Alex mean, you're, so. you're on a roll. <laughs> um, there's four, four main things that we've learned in the past three years. And the first one is, most people don't struggle with basic knowledge of nutrition. And this is, this is obvious and intuitive because there's so much information out on the internet and, you know, some of it is bad, but a lot of it is, is good. And I'll use the, um, the dietary guidelines in the U.S. as an example. (laughs) Um, those are really basic guidelines and, you know, a lot of people and fitness and nutrition gurus will, kind of poo-poo those and say, well, if they're so good, why aren't they working? And the reason why those guidelines don't work and the reason why a lot of people struggle is they, they don't struggle with information. They struggle to implement what they already know. So they struggle to implement the basics. And we see this all the time when people that, you know, people come and sometimes, you know, they come in with a very high baseline of knowledge with science and with nutrition, but they just, they they can't figure out how to insert that into their lives or modify their behaviors or even make small changes. So like the fact that they can't
1: overhaul everything at once discourages them from, which brings us to number two, which is that information isn't as compelling as a lot of people think it is. So again, it's like as a nutrition coach, you can't sit here and be like, well, don't you know, like you have to sleep eight hours like, yeah, of course they know. Or you can sit there and say like, you know, this is what eight hours of sleep does for you. It helps your hormones. It makes you feel better during the day. It won't, you won't feel as hungry. You'll be less likely, um, to get, to get the afternoon lull. Like you'll be more energetic. You'll be less moody. It's like, but they don't, they know that like everyone's experienced a good night's sleep and how good that they feel the next day. But that doesn't stop them from staying up until like 12 AM the following night or doing it over and over and over again until the point where they're chronically undersleeping. I mean, it's the same thing like with cigarettes. Like you tell somebody to stop smoking. It's kind of like, yeah, no, I know smoking is bad for me. I don't care, I like it kind of thing. Or even somebody who wants to quit smoking, they know it's bad for them. They don't want to smoke. And seeing those pictures on the cigarette pack isn't stopping them. Like there's commercials that they see but still they'll go out for us for like smoking. Like the information alone isn't enough and knowing what to do isn't enough. I know
0: Taco Bell will give me diarrhea. I just want Taco Bell. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, I've never actually had Taco Bell, but never, no, never. They had it on our, I didn't didn't really eat a lot as a kid, but they had it at our, like on campus at my university you should have it one time because like the flavor is it's like nothing you've ever eaten and it like
1: even the the tortillas are completely different than like it's kind of like Subway it's like it's a sandwich but there's a unique yeah je ne sais quoi to the, the, the tortillas <laughs> <laughs> and I I'm sorry I used a, a very nice French phrase to describe a Subway sandwich je ne sais quoi. Um,
0: yeah the tortillas are like they're almost like skin. Like, the texture is completely Wait, logical. sorry. The,
1: the quesadillas are? No,
0: the tortilla shells. Okay, well, you're not selling it. <laughs> yeah, it's super weird. But, like, they have to be able to make them, and then whatever's in the, t- the tortilla has to be able to sit in the tortilla without soaking through the oh, tortilla. Oh, so there there needs to be some sort of, like... Plastic, yeah. <laughs> there needs to be
1: plastic in the tortilla shells, which is kind of what it tastes like. Interesting. It's also good in, like, a weird way. I feel like see, if I'm going to go for fast food, I'd rather have like French fries and a burger or chicken nuggets. I'm not going to, that's probably why I've never had fried chicken or Taco Bell. Cause it's like, I'm going to opt for the burger and fries always.
0: Yeah. Well, you've just never had like good fried chicken. That's probably true. Um, Anyway, but anyway, anyways. Um, yeah. So that, and then also kind of in that vein, number three, Telling people what to do doesn't work. And this one's interesting because a lot of people come to us and probably come to, you know, coaches generally wanting to be told what to do. They're like, just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever it is. And maybe that works for like a short period of time. It also goes against our kind of our core values as a company, just right off the bat. Like, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to educate you so you can go on your merry way at some point yeah guide
1: you Mm. that's part of the reason why we use macros and not a meal plan yeah because it's like macros does it forces the client to work yeah which is not a bad thing no the problem with meal plans is like the client i guess they're working in a sense but they're not doing the work up front yeah of like deciding what they need to eat to make it work for them
0: yeah i think meal plans can be useful and it's like they just have to be coached and use it in a different way. Yeah. And it's not what, the tool that we... It's not for yeah. that, yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it's interesting that so many people want that. But then also, you know, it's there's kind of this novice... I guess it's... Yeah, it's something you see novice coaches kind of do with people and they view clients and people who are paying them to solve their problems as problems to be solved. And so instead of...
1: Yeah, and the reason we know this is because well, like when you read a coaching book, this is often what the co- the beginning of the coaching book will say. We you just you want to be able to tell a person what to do, solve like there are problems to be solved.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it can be like when someone it's frustrating and you're feeling like you're not getting through like it's just a knee-jerk response to be like just do this. Just do this thing, it'll work. And whether or not it's true, most of the time people don't do it. Or they don't, they won't do it to the extent that it will be beneficial or effective. So, um, and I don't think people deep down, I don't think people like being told what to do. And I think we're seeing the repercussions of that pan out globally Mm -hmm. at the moment. (laughs) Um, You can't just... One example
1: comes to mind.
0: Yeah. You can't
1: just say, oh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if there's like many, 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 many qualified experts Saying the same thing, if they're being told what to do, they'll say, oh, I don't really like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who's telling them. It doesn't matter what their credentials are. It doesn't matter what the information is out there. Their reasoning is that I don't really like being told what to do. <laughs> I would rather make my own decisions. Just it's fair. like you have to, it's like a child. It's like a reverse ecology. It's like you have to be like, you know what? Don't get it. It's Don't do it. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to do it then. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they should try that. Had we, I mean, we should. We should. With our nutrition coaching. Yeah, definitely with nutrition and not
0: epidemiology. Um, okay. Number four, good coaches aren't the ones who know the most. They're the ones who meet people where they're at and help get them where they want to go. And so this has been sort of an evolution of ours. And if you f- follow us on social media, you've probably noticed maybe... A slight change in content over the last few years and that change kind of reflects what we've learned and you know while it's good to be I think forward with the science on occasion and what you know and you know why you know it to be true because we are an evidence-based coaching company and always will be um, a lot of that stuff doesn't really apply to people at least not a, not right away um, and this kind of goes back to you know, good nutrition should fit into a person's lifestyle and a person's lifestyle shouldn't necessarily have to be completely overhauled for good nutrition to happen. And so I think that's, you know, that's meeting someone where they're at and not saying you have to get all the way over here to have success. It's saying we can take these small steps that are going to be, you know, a challenge, but not overly challenging for you.
1: Yeah. And then on top of that, we while we're here to to guide the client we like to allow the client to set their own goals like big goals like whether they come to us for weight loss or performance but within those it's kind of like um okay so you want to improve like your diet like what have you tried in the past and then you kind of go from there or you know you want to include more vegetables like What kind of vegetables do you like rather than being like, yeah, you need to be eating chicken, broccoli and rice every single day for lunch, just like I do. And here are the studies that say that. Yeah. It's (laughs) like, that's never, well, I mean, I'm not, I shouldn't say never, it could work with some people, but it's just not likely to work because not that many people want to eat broccoli, rice and chicken for lunch. Some people don't like broccoli, even though it's a great vegetable. It's like, you know, before we say, you know, broccoli would be a great idea, if they say, I well, I really love carrots, I would really love carrots and they're not eating any vegetables. Yeah. Carrots are going to be a step up.
0: I'm going to be like, ew, gross, but eat them if you like them. Okay. Carrots are delicious.
1: <laughs> Do you ever like, would you ever, if we we're traveling
0: or something, eat out a little more than, <clears throat> than what's normal? Do you ever crave like, oh my God, all I want is like a very plain chicken breast and a piece of broccoli?
1: Mm, no I I do crave like plain rice though because mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of like hard to find plain food plain yeah. rice but yeah Just, it's
0: too flavorful for me <laughs> out there in the world it's too much sometimes it is um so those are kind of the I guess the four main things I we would probably have like thousands of things that we've learned in the past three years of you know yeah. running this and they all kind
1: of interconnect sure they're all the same in a sense mm-hmm. there's somewhat separate there's small nuances but they're very much this it's the same message yeah um so
0: you know what do what do we do with those lessons that we've learned and i think you know the primary thing that we've done and the most visible to people who follow us and our clients is is the information the content that we put out on on the internet so it is it does kind of encourage people to self-assess a little bit more and then I think on the client facing front you know instead of kind of thinking in this you know we have a program and you're going to adhere to the program which we've never really had a program it's not like RP Um, we do a lot more I guess probing and asking why and trying to get sort of a better understanding of okay where where do these goals come from? You know, why do you you know, why do you want to make progress in this way? Why do you want to lose weight? Like, why do you, you know, why do you value being lean? Like, you know, try to get to the kind of the root and uncover a person's core values and their, you know, their why because a lot of the times I think what can on the surface be a very vain goal. For example, You know, I want to lose someone who comes in, maybe they're like a coach at a gym and they say, you know, I just, I want to lose 20 pounds so that I'll look like the other coaches at the gym. Something like that. Like that's, we get that one from time to time. Um, you know, and it's like, okay, like, I guess I can get that. But like, why, like, why is it important? Like, why is that important to you? You know, and the person might say like, well, you know, I feel if like, if I'm a coach, then I should look like a coach and it's like, okay, well, you know, why do you think a coach has to look a certain way? And, you know, then they'll answer that question with, you know, a number of different responses. Well, you know, coaches should be leaders in fitness and, you know, look like they walk the walk and all this. And, you know, then ask, well, you know, what, what is your experience with a good coach been? Like what, who's the, who's been the best coach for you and what made them like, what made them good at their job? And then they'll say something about, you know, a person who, well, this person really put a lot of faith in me and they connected with me and you know, they, they felt very invested or this, you know, a lot of good qualities that coaches have. And then it's like, well, I noticed that you didn't say because that coach had a a six pack and then it's like, Oh, okay. And so then it's, then it's like, let's actually get to the bottom of, you know, why this is important to you. If it's still important that you, you know, lose weight or lean out a little bit because maybe fitness and nutrition is just something that you value. We can reframe that into a more positive angle instead of saying, you know, it coming from a, a place of like, I'm not good enough. And if I do this, then I'll be good enough. Because the reality of chasing goals like that is there will always be something else. As soon as you reach the
1: milestone, the goalpost moves.
0: Yeah there's something else that you can find uh, dissatisfaction with. And so, you know, the same coach who wants to lose 20 pounds and lean out or whatever, if it's like, okay, you want to do that because you value health and nutrition, you want to feel good and like you feel like it will help you in your workouts. um, Let's come at this from a, a behavior and a like daily practice angle and figure out what things you need to do on a daily basis that will make you feel like you're having successful like success and moving forward, because then you kind of take away the, I guess, the end goal. You take away the goalposts in a way. And all of a sudden, you know, they're two, three years into this with these same behaviors. They've lost the 15 or 20 pounds. They didn't even think about it. Um, And they're, you know, they're living their values and they feel very centered and they're being the coach that they want to be. And they aren't as fixated on this one single
1: measure of progress yeah I think for me as a coach, um, when I have weight loss clients come, it's like weight loss is important and you want to make sure you're progressing them towards that goal for whatever reason it is that as you get to know them, I think over time instead of just saying like, oh, you know what's your body weight? and like you do ask that question because it's a d- it's a data point. But over time, it's kind of like you just develop this relationship with them and you understand what's going on in their life and you do develop these really small goals and you focus in on those goals. So it's like getting to bed earlier, um, hitting your macros, making sure what they're doing with their macros and their diet is sustainable. Asking questions like, how are you feeling about tracking? How do you feel about tracking in the future? Like, do you want to be done with tracking in a year? That sort of thing. Like, are you able to enjoy yourself when you go out for dinner? Little things like that. And so when the client does end up reaching their end goal, whether it's losing 20 pounds or 50 pounds or whatever, you know, that client kind of understands that they're not just, that's not what nutrition coaching is anymore. And oftentimes in my experience, they stay on longer because now it's the focus has shifted from weight loss to their habits. And they understand that like what matters to maintain their weight loss and their health at this point is to make sure they're, habits are really foundational. And they can build off them and feel confident in them moving forward. So it it's almost like there is a shift over time, it doesn't have to happen on day one, you can, you can go right out running towards that weight loss goal. But over time with the, a certain dialogue, you can get them understanding like what is actually important for the weight loss or for sustainable health yeah. without saying like, Oh, well, weight isn't important.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's, you can make, you can make some parallels into the fitness realm. Um, when you think of certain goals or achievements, um, that are kind of on the extreme end. So I'm trying to think of something that exists in more of the recreational space. Um, Oh, okay. So you have a client who, I think for the second time this year is going to run the Goofy Challenge, which if you're not familiar with what the Goofy Challenge is, it's on, um, what, four consecutive days. It's a five-kilometer five run on the first day, a 10-kilometer run on the second day, a half marathon on the third day, and a full marathon on the fourth day. And uh, I think just to be able to complete that is a pretty big accomplishment or would be for most people. And it's even more... Um, I think astounding when it is kind of a, you know, a couch to goofy challenge situation, which is what it was the first time that he did it. And, you know, when, if you were to ask someone who's done something like this, whether it's goofy challenge or maybe, um, an ultra marathon or even a marathon, you know, when they accomplish that and they check it off the list, like they, they feel an immense sense of pride and accomplishment. And if you would ask them, you know, what specifically is it? It's probably like, yeah, it's a, a major accomplishment by itself. But the reason why you feel so proud and so happy is all of the work that had to go into it. It's the process of getting there. Because without dedicating yourself to the process of, you know, waking up early for runs or staying up late to do them, um, getting the miles in in the wintertime when it's cold and dark, like doing all of these things, you never would have gotten there. And I think even if people struggle to necessarily put that into words that's a that's where a lot of the pride and a lot of the accomplishment comes from because it's simply acknowledging in yourself like I stuck to something long enough to see it through and you know look at what I did as a result
1: yeah another I think we talked about this the other day but there's another um like metaphor for diet and nutrition and but I am by no means a relationship expert, but I I think about nutrition in that like, it's like a relationship. And if you like work really hard on that relationship to like get the girl or get the guy, hmm. um, just like you work really hard for weight loss, <clears throat> say at the beginning of like a starting point, um, like you the starting point for nutrition would be like hiring a coach or starting a plan and then for the relationship, it would be like meeting the person that you're like, okay, I really want to date this person. I want this person to like move in with me. So you work really hard and you're super into it and you're just like, you're so motivated and you're getting a ton of feedback. And then you get the girl that you guys are going steady. And then the same with like you hit your weight loss goal. At that point, you can't just be like, sweet, we're done. Like if, if the goal is just always to get to the point And then at that point, it's over what happens next, like, and you start acting selfish, or you don't do nice things for that person anymore, or you don't genuinely care. And you just want to go back to living that like, kind of individual life where you don't have to worry about another person or, you know, take the time to go to their parents for dinner or things like that. And the relationship is going to fall apart and you're going to end up back at square one, which is by yourself. It's the same thing with weight loss like if you don't keep at it and make sure that like what you're doing is healthy and sustainable and motivating within itself and intrinsic intrinsically motivating like it's just it's not going to last so like making sure that at the beginning of a a relationship like you're getting into a relationship with somebody who is um, somebody for you and somebody that's going to work in your life (laughs) if you are changing your life to match this other person's life just to get her or him it's the same thing with nutrition. If you're overhauling your life just to get this desirable body, and this this thing that you're doing isn't actually going to work for five or ten years or even another year, it's like you've wasted a lot of time here.
0: Or you better be like willing to figure out how to reframe it and quick.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a lot of what we do. It's like, you know, people say like, just tell me what to do. I want to lose this much weight, and it's like, well, that's not really what we do. Like mm-hmm. we want to make sure what you're doing is working for you. And oftentimes you can go down the road of like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. But they kind of quickly know, um, that that's not going to work for them. Like they, they almost come to their, the own real realization. Like, yeah, but
0: yeah. And that's, um, that's kind of, I think even when we, we go down that path with someone, it's still very much like, okay, you're going to direct this. This is your decision they know that because we question and make sure that, you know, they're saying, yes, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. Um, which makes it easier. I think on everyone when, you know, the, the ship needs to be turned around <laughs> and brought back to the Harbor because like they kind of recognize their, their, their own part in it, which is important. Um, there's kind of, there's two things I want to talk about, I guess, in that line. And it's, um, it has to do with the way that your identity plays a role in behavior change. And so when, you know, when you do focus on the sustainable habits and behavior change in the process, it allows you over time because you're having success and doing things daily, your identity kind of starts to shift, or at least your self identity. So maybe, you know, someone who is starting down the path towards health or weight loss, Um, you know, for example, I mean, if you listen to Allie LeMay's episode with us a couple of episodes ago, she's a really good example of this because when she started down the path, I wouldn't necessarily say that she identified as an athlete or, a, um, you know, felt like she was particularly health, healthy at the time, but it was with enough repetition of daily habits and processes she started to adopt that identity and then that's sort of like what keeps the train moving because then all of a sudden it becomes like well of course I'm going to go to the gym it's you know I'm someone who goes to the gym so this is you know it's not even really difficult for me to do and that's kind of how you see people behave once you know once they their identity shifts into you know the person that they want to be and so there's this quote um, I don't know who said it. It's, you can't consistently perform in a manner that is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. And I like this quote because it sort of, it goes in, in both directions. So, you know, someone like Alex, someone like you, for example, let's say in a couple weekends when it's the holidays or whatever, for some weird reason, you're like, you know what, I'm just going to like, I'm going to go all in and celebrate and you know, eat more than I should. I'm gonna, you know, get a little drunk because it's the holidays and I can. Like, how would you feel the day after that? Aside from hungover?
1: I would probably be disappointed in myself. Yeah, why? Well, because that behavior doesn't align with my goals. It's not who I am. It's not what I do. Yeah. Who are you? What do you do? I am a person who takes care of their body and does things for their body so that their body and their mind can perform at high level on a day-to-day basis yeah
0: and I think there are a lot of people out there who have those core values and they share them with you but they aren't quite so good at um, maybe saying no to friends or no to family or no to peer pressure at work and so they get into those situations and then they feel a lot of guilt and sometimes that can create some really negative cycles with you know restriction with eating over exercising things like that and it just gets really negative really fast the other way that goes is someone who maybe values socializing, time with friends, staying up late, they like to party, that kind of thing. You know, they that's what they enjoy doing, that's what they've done for a long time. That's their identity because that's those have been the things, the habits that they've repeated day to day to day for however many years. But they also know like you know, I'm I'm over 30. I should probably get my shit together with exercising and nutrition. Um so I'm going to, you know, make a goal of going to the gym every single day. And for them, going to the gym probably feels weird and bad. Maybe not to the same extent, like with the guilt, um, as like drinking or eating does for someone like you, unless they're, you know, missing out on social situations, maybe there's, I wouldn't say it feels
1: bad. It would be hard. It'd be
0: challenging. It's yeah. It's
1: like the motivation isn't there. The habit isn't built. It's so like it's hard to do work. that.
0: Yeah. Just like it'd be hard for you to consistently go out and socialize. Yeah. It's hard for someone who values socialization. Like, oh, I don't wanna. Yeah. Which is basically every time there's a social event <laughs> on our calendar. <laughs> but just like it's hard for you to do that, someone who is the opposite is going to struggle in the same way with going to the gym or prepping their food or going to bed early, mm-hmm. those kinds of behaviors. And it's something where... You know, if you, Alex, wanted to shift and you say, look, like, I know it's important for my professional career for me to, like, network and to go out and meet with professionals and that's going to require me to stay up late a few nights a week. You would have to to start to do that kind of thing repetitively before it became something that you were, like, okay with doing. And if it was like, this is, this works. Yeah. It can and fit.
1: figuring out, like, how frequently it can happen. Yeah. Um, and how to fit it in with the other values that you have. Yeah. Like, maybe I go out, but I don't drink you know, yeah, there's, there's different levels to it.
0: And so that's, that's the same thing that needs to happen when someone who values socialization and friend time, when they have drinking and
1: eating even, yeah,
0: when that person has to put fitness and nutrition in their life, or they they want to, Mm -hmm. they're gonna kind of have to put in some effort there and push in that direction a little bit, you know, to develop the habit. And, and, you know, maybe it's not their only identity, but it is, it is a hat that they wear. In addition to, you know, the, I like to socialize with my family and friends, which maybe, you know, now they socialize with less
1: food or less alcohol Mm -hmm. and that's the compromise. And it's progressive. Yeah, exactly. And the coach isn't going to say like, you need to stop going out with your friends right now. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's like, okay, I get that you really like going out with your friends. Like maybe we can figure out how to like help you make better choices at dinner. What restaurant are you going to? Yeah. Would you be open to that idea?
0: Exactly. And as long as the person isn't saying, you know, I want 14 abs and, you know, quadricep veins,
1: I'm like, do you? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the goals have to be adjusted for that to be reasonable. Yeah. For Mm -hmm. what they want. Yeah. From their life.
0: And then a lot of it is repetition on not only the behaviors, but how you talk to yourself in moments, you know, and we, we do this a lot with clients when, you know, it's like, Hey, what's, you know, what do you have going on this week? Or what do you want to, like, what are some goals? What do you want to focus on? And they say, Oh, I'd like to, um, you know, I'd like to try to go to the gym three times a week. And it's like, Okay, hey, let's, like, let's just change the way you said that. So instead of like, I want to go to the gym three times a week, what if you just said, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week?
1: And so it, it takes the, like, um, well, I'll try. It takes that off the table. It's like, it prevents you. I had a client the other day who's, who's not a morning person. And he was telling me that he's going to have to get up early to start running before work. And he's like, oh, I'm just not a morning person. And I said, well, well, that's like, that's going to be a challenge for you. And he said, yeah, but I've, I've got this thing in my, like, we have like a motto now in our house and it's kind of like, we don't skip runs in this house. And it's like a way of saying like, I, I am not leaving the decision. There isn't a choice on the table of whether I go or not. It's just like, I am the, I'm a person who doesn't skip runs. Yeah. I don't allow myself to skip workouts. It's just rather than being like, oh, it's going to be tough. You know, I'm I'm planning on getting up tomorrow morning. It's like, no, this is what's happening.
0: Yeah. I think that's super powerful. It's like, it sounds like a really silly thing, but it's not. It's kind (laughs) of like,
1: it's kind of like when there's a, there's an old study and I can't remember how they measured it, but basically the gist of it is when you put a pencil in your mouth, Mm -hmm. it mimics, it uses the same muscles that you use when you smile, which changes, it makes you happy. Like think about it like when you're mad and you smile, like you do not want to smile when you're mad. It's in between your teeth. See, you kind of have to use (laughs) some of the same muscles. And apparently that changes, like it makes you feel happier. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly how they measured it. Probably with like like brain like dopamine, serotonin. Release. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of it. It's like when you start thinking of yourself in a way and you think of yourself like I am the type of person who, you know, th- you know, likes to get up early and feel good during my run. So I'm not going to drink alcohol or I'm not the type of person who drinks alcohol because they value their health. That's different than saying like, oh, I can't drink tonight. Yeah. Because when you say you can't drink tonight and I'm sh- almost positively said this on a podcast before, when you say I can't drink tonight or I'm not allowed to, or I won't. It's like, you're still that those phrases still ingrained that you are a person who wants to drink and values drinking.
0: It recognizes it. it,
1: You recognize like I am a drinker who is choosing to refrain. Yeah. And so changing the dialogue (laughs) in your head can have a big impact on your behavior.
0: Yeah. And if you've ever read, um, atomic habits, you've Mm -hmm. certainly read that portion in, in his book. um, And so that kind of like all of these things and it's, it's again, when you're making changes that aren't super extreme, you can, um, you can fit multiple facets of, I guess, wellness into your life. So you can have, you know, cause wellness is more than just fitness and nutrition and health. Wellness is fitness, nutrition, health, family time, socialization, religion, spirituality, um, work, giving back, there's so many things that go into the like, you know, the wellness cup. And so it kind of allows these things to exist in harmony with other things that are important. Instead of saying like, okay, well, you know, I'm into fitness and nutrition now. So I guess I'm not going out with my friends. It's, you know, we want ultimately for I guess the right changes to be made so that people feel like
1: they're not compromising. They're accommodating. Yeah. Because there's a cost to some of these. It kind of goes back to the boundaries episode. Yeah, for sure. It's like, well, there's a pie. Like I like that pie or there's a cup and there's only so much room for things in that cup. So figuring out for you, like maybe you want to shift some of the priorities, but you only have so much space to do that.
0: Yeah. And I will, I'm going to go on a, a tangent here really quick because I think it's worth doing. It's sort of like, uh, and I like, so this is off the cuff. So I want to make sure I have my thoughts organized. So I think a lot of this comes from social media and the way that people hold themselves out, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of jealousy that people have And when they see their family, their friends, their peers, their coworkers or whatever, and they see their lives and the way that they exist. And, um, you know, we see it mostly, I think with athletes and with CrossFitters and, you know, it's like, well, why are they so good? And I'm not that good. Why do they have that? And I don't have that. Like, you know, I just want to have what she has. And, you know, you're not seeing, you're not, you don't get to see what their pie looks like. And so, yeah, some of these elite athletes, their lives look sweet because essentially they make YouTube content, they work out, they eat, they get massages and that's it. That's their life. And it looks awesome. Cause when you like, when you're trying to be good at, at fitness or whatever sport, you know, you think, Oh, if only I had that amount of free time, I, you know, I could, I could be at that level. Um, but what you don't see is that in their pie, they have squeezed out relationships. The family gets pushed to the side. Social time goes away. Travel. They don't get to travel. Maybe they don't. They aren't in a relationship. It's all of these things that when you were to, if you were to objectively consider your life and what brings happiness to it, a lot of those things are not in that person's
1: pie. Like a lot of athletes have used the word sacrifice. Yeah. Which I don't necessarily like that. I don't think it should be a sacrifice because for everybody it's a choice. Yeah. But... It's a cost. You're choosing to have one thing and not have another or as much of another. So yeah. maybe it is somewhat of a sacrifice. could be. It's not really a negative thing. It's just what you've chosen. That it, it, it certainly isn't negative for an Olympic athlete who's won gold. And it's like, I put all my chips in this basket and I just won gold and it was 100% worth it. Like, did you sacrifice it? I mean, not really like you chose. Yeah. But, um,
0: you know, it's like someone who who works a full-time job at a hospital you know it, it's not fair to, to you know to look at a, a full-time athlete and say well if only it's like but you have a like a full-time job and you probably like that job and you probably want to keep it because it's helping you develop professionally and that's important for you for a long like important to you for a long list of reasons <clears throat> um and if that went away would you truly be happy
1: Yeah. There's just, there's a lot under the covers that you may not know about. I mean, and I speak for myself as well. I look at, I look at people who, you know, I look at some people and they're like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, they have a, they have a perfect family. I'm like, I kind of, that looks nice. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on in the background there. You have no idea. (laughs) You know, it's such a, it's, it is, it's a highlight reel a lot of the time. It turns out everyone's on Xanax, (laughs) even the kids.
0: (laughs) So you don't know, like, and it's just, it's a really unfair game to play. And like, it's so easy to get sucked into it because of social media and, you know, what gets put out there. And it's fine. It doesn't mean that like some people just, they want their social media to be highlight reels. And it, it's complicated when it's also kind of the way that <clears throat> a lot of athletes make money nowadays, but it's just like, take it all
1: with a, a grain of salt. Cause the, the grass is, I think it's important to say like, you don't need to be saying like, oh, well they, they probably, you know, don't have a relationship or they probably don't have a life outside of the gym. Like it's, I, we're not saying like you should be, you know, making up negative situations for these people to make yourself feel better. You, I think more it's understanding that there, there are costs to things in everything in life. And so, um, what we're saying is that for somebody, the cost may be worth the benefit. The juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah. So like for somebody, an athlete, like pursuing the CrossFit games is worth giving up a variety of things in their life. You know, you could plop a completely different person into their life and they would be like, no, this isn't working for me because like, I want to spend time with my family. Yeah. Or I really like going out to restaurants and not worrying about how much I'm eating so that I can perform the next day. So it's really, it's just like, everyone's different. Everyone, um, Everyone's pie looks different. Everyone's like wellness cup looks different. Yeah. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. It's just different. And if you, I guess our message is like as a human, an individual human being, just kind of like the boundaries episode, it's like, take a good hard look. And if you're not happy, like what can you change? Yeah,
0: exactly. It might not be the thing that you think it is, Mm -hmm. which I think is always an interesting discussion. Um, So what we were about to get into before we got on that tangent was kind of the cost of optimizing, I guess, the cost of some of the more extreme modifications that you can make to diet and lifestyle and how we've kind of, we've had this conversation a few times and it's the juxtaposition between longevity, which a lot of people are really into longevity right now. A lot of the biohackers out there are, you know, Dave Asprey's convinced he's going to live until what, 150 years old. 200. I don't know. Um, and there's a lot of people out there who are like, it seems like all they care about is just like perfectly optimizing their health, like eating the exact right amount, the exact foods with the most research, so that they can live the longest. And so, you know, if like, if eating half a cup of salmon eggs a day is your thing and like you have everything else in your life dialed down and that's where your focus is like, that's fine. I think a lot of people chase Longevity without realizing the cost to vitality. So that's like it's the juxtaposition between longevity and vitality. So longevity is how long you live. Vitality is how well you live. Um, So so you know, a vital life might be a shorter life, but it might be a better life. Because what's the point of living to one hundred and fifty if it's you know everything is just so meticulous and you can't you can't go out and enjoy you know, a dinner out, you don't drink alcohol ever. You don't eat ice cream with your kids, that kind of thing. And it's like, that's, those are very specific examples. But I think the kind of the, the, the message there is to always, I guess, consider the, the
1: cost. Yeah. There's also like, those are the extreme ends. It's like wellness in this moment and like enjoying your life. And then there's longevity, which is like, living to as long as you can. And what's in the middle, like you said is, well, wellness and vitality are somewhat interchangeable, but um, I think think thinking somewhat long-term into maybe your 70s or your 60s or even your 80s, it's like you want vitality then. So what kind of trade-offs are you willing to make now to maintain vitality and wellness in your 30s or 40s or 20s, but also still be able to live a vital, a vital life in your 60s or yeah. 70s? So that when you're, you know, you're not 70 and you're, you know, in a wheelchair or mm. have health issues, things like that. Um, like I have some clients who are, I mean, they're so dialed in, it's just ridiculous. So I'm just like, I don't even know a like, good job. <laughs> you're crushing it. And, you know, part of me thinks like I've read, I, I know that there's research out there and I've read things that. there's a, there was a study that's like, Oh, you should, you could eat this much garlic and that can help this. Or you can eat uh, like, yeah, salmon eggs, or you can only eat the skins of apples. And there's all these things that's like, there's all the nutrients are in the skin, all the, these little things. And I've, I will be honest, I have proposed a couple of these things to clients. Cause I'm like, you're super dialed in. Like what do you want to step it up a notch? Let's go raw garlic. <laughs> you want to go raw garlic? We're going raw garlic. And they're like, no, yeah, I exactly. don't. And I'm like, okay. I mean like you're pretty much good. Like I guess at this point, like <clears throat> they're still with me cause they, you know, they they want to maintain and it keeps them accountable and stuff like that. But it take. I think that kind of, it's like good enough. Yeah good enough for wellness and wellness down the line and vitality. Now there's a trade off between enjoying foods out and, um, enjoying maybe like Skippy peanut butter instead of almond butter. I don't even know. Like over time, those little things might add up, but it's like, there's a cost to it. It's like, Mm -hmm. I really like Skippy peanut butter. So what if there's something in there, you know, that isn't. So there's a little palm oil. (laughs) Okay. Someone, there's someone said there's like sugar in it. And I'm like,
0: Okay. I mean, oh no, not sugar. Yeah, it's like, it's just not a super,
1: I guess, quote unquote, I, there's certain so things that you just don't need to look at the ingredients of. Yeah. And that's part of wellness. Yeah. You know, it's it an, is. I'm going to enjoy like, my Skippy peanut butter. And I'm like, I'm not in the business of saying like, yeah, you shouldn't eat Skippy because you now you need to get even healthier. It's like, are you happy where you're at? Like, yeah. you're in a really good place right now and that's fine. And they're happy and it's a conversation.
0: Yeah. And bringing it back to like, core values which we talked about a couple episodes ago and earlier in this one. I think would you have a like a good understanding of what those values are and where your focus is, it becomes easier to define what vitality looks like to you. Mm-hmm. Obviously like there's there's a whole there's a whole spectrum of of people in the world and you know what brings them happiness and makes them feel connected and whole is totally different than you and me like there are people who climb mountains without ropes and you know, that is the way that they connect to nature and spirituality or whatever it is for them. And even though they, they know that it greatly reduces their chance of living a long life, they do it anyways, because Mm -hmm. it's what makes them feel vital. And, um, not something that I will ever do, but that's, it's
1: important to them for their reasons. Yeah. I, there was a meme out there, I think it was optimize (coughs) nutrition. And they said, it was like, somebody said, Oh, let's go out and have lunch. And some, and then the guy was lying on the couch. He goes, no, I'm, I'm fasting. I'm fast, intermittent fasting. <laughs> They're like, why would you do that? Like you're exhausted. It's like, because it, if I fast for like 18 hours a day, then I will live for the rest of my life. I'll live 2.5 years longer, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Cause like, That's what some people are doing. It's like they're impacting their day to day life for something that might extend their life for who knows how long. Yeah, science hasn't told us. Um, It's interesting. Kind of, kind of has to some degree. Yeah, but not necessarily. Like, yeah, can't you can't say, oh, I can live this much longer if I do this every day. For sure. And even like, so I mean, cross. And somebody could walk out into the street and get hit by a bus. Oh, right. Like you're never guaranteed uh, like an all that additional hour.
0: (laughs) I know. You have a brain aneurysm that you couldn't, like, you just can't yeah, control. I mean, that's grim, but it's, but true. it's also true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, everybody doing CrossFit, crushing 500, 600 grams of carbs. Like, that is shortening your life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, But they do it anyways.
1: Yeah. Probably. It's funny, um, with all this talk, you have athletes you can look at in any sport. And they can put absolutely every single one of their eggs in one basket and have absolutely no balance in their life. And they might get to the very top. They might. Um, some, some athletes do better with a little bit more balance in their life. They actually perform better. They can, their athletic career is longer because they're not solely focused on one thing. Um, they get injured and they don't get you know they're not as mentally impacted by it because mm-hmm. they can have something else going on in their life. <clears throat> I'm I think that balance is important. Um but it, I think it'll be interesting to see like I don't know how much research has been done whether like how much like p- kind of putting all your eggs in one basket and just like focusing on one end goal like what kind of impact that has on longevity.
0: But I think there there actually is there actually is research on that, I just can't remember what it is. But it's essentially people tend to have more success on the thing that they've prioritized when it's not the only thing that they have in their mm-hmm. life. And partially the reason for that is your happiness goes up. Like imagine you're a writer and you know, your your whole career and your whole life and your, you know, your success as a human being hinges <clears throat> on writing a best selling novel. And you spend all this time write the book, you publish it, and it flops, or it's not immediately successful. Like, it's gonna in- impact your productivity moving forward. It's gonna impact your happiness. It's gonna impact the amount of energy that you put in concurrent projects or the, the next project. Whereas, <clears throat> if you're writing multiple books, or you're doing, you know, maybe you're a, a professor, or you are a professional, or doing something else. And also writing the book, you can release the book and it's like, okay, it's not killing it on, you know, New York Times bestsellers, but I have these other things that I'm going to focus on. And then while you're focusing on those other things with this book that you've released, like it slowly starts to sort of gain notoriety and traction as books tend to do. And so you didn't have to go through that extreme, like, like lull of emotion because it's like, oh, this thing I put all of my energy in wasn't immediately successful like that's kind of a crazy way to think about it, um, but it it does help to have other things that you focus on, and I think that's that's why a lot of professional athletes with families are they do better, yeah. So, um, but I guess we'll wrap this up kind of by saying, um, you know, we certainly don't. I think what we've learned in in three years really is that we we don't know everything. We're not even close to knowing everything, but I. Th- where we we spend our energy is with regards to research and reading and developing as coaches, I think is quite different from where it was in the beginning. Um, definitely like finding that we're reading more on the professional coaching, like behavior change, psychology mindset kind of things versus, um, you know what the most up to date research on gut health Mm -hmm. or, um you know blood tests and how to read them which isn't our job anyways and never will be but it's um i feel like the the behavior change and the the interpersonal stuff and the ability to connect with people is really where the money's at not literally but as far as like getting people moving forward in a very positive direction where they want to go that's much more impactful yeah has been for us anyways and it's just like you start to understand people better. And I think we would understand people better anyways after working with them for so long <clears throat> in such a large variety of people. Um, But I find that, <clears throat> you know, you start to develop more empathy for the people that you work with and the more that you can relate to someone and connect with them and say like, oh yeah, that's like, that must be hard or I totally get that. Like that does nothing but help your coaching. Hmm. I agree. You got anything else? Nope. Um, this was kind of a kitchen sink episode, but I liked it. Um, thanks for listening as always. Um, if you have anything you want to hear about in the next few weeks, let us know. We'll try to get a few episodes out before the holiday and then, um, we'll be back on it in January. So thanks as always. Talk to you soon.